All right. Is it working? Good. Oh, boy. Okay. There we go. Well, let me just, uh, before we start here this morning, let me just be honest with you. The, the few of you that are here and the rest of you that are at home. This week, as I was, I don't know, working, preparing, doing all my normal things, I really found myself uh, longing for uh, in-person church again. Uh, and I, I know many of you are with me in that. And, uh, and especially as I'm reading through 1 Corinthians, and it's this letter that Paul's written to a group of people that he loves desperately, and he wants to go see them, and he can't, at least not yet. And, and that just resonated with me so deeply this week. Uh, I, just, I just can't wait for us to be able to be uh, together and singing together. Uh, it, it's different not being able to hear very many people. Uh, and, and when the place is full and voices are lifted, praise and worship has, is amazing. Uh, and, and so I'm just really looking forward to that day. And so we'll keep praying to that end. Uh, we, of course, as Lori mentioned, we're not in control. And, uh, well, we're not in control of anything. And uh, that's just part of life. And we, we, this has really helped us probably realize that. And so hopefully this has grown your trust in God more and more. And also, as you've been frustrated and upset at certain things, uh, hopefully we've been able to turn those back as the song we just sang, back into praise, realizing that, according to Romans, everything, everything that God gives us is ultimately for our good. So he is at work in this, and even though I don't really like it, I know that it's for our good, and I know that God's at work. So let's turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to do something that uh, I never do. We're going to go through a whole chapter at one time. I know, Lori just gave me a look there. Just kidding, Lori. Uh, it's, it's, there's some interesting things that happen in this text, but, uh, but it flows really quite nicely to get through it in one week. And if you remember back to the first week where we showed the, the Bible Project video on this, chapter 4 is kind of the conclusion of our first section. And then we move on into another section. And, and as he ends this week, if you read chapter 5, or if you, are, if you remember what chapter 5 is about, Paul's going to get real serious, real serious. And he already does in this text, but there's some very difficult instructions for the church, uh, specifically in the area of sex, that is going to be probably somewhat uncomfortable, uh, but necessary for us to hear. And uh, and it's, it's, it's serious business. But before we get there, uh, let's look at chapter 4 together. There's a few strange verses or seemingly out-of-place verses, and you're probably going to catch it. I'm going to try and read it with uh, the intent that I believe Paul wrote it, with some of the uh, liter- uh, literary devices, I think it's called, uh, and I hope that you'll get it. So let's read. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of our hearts. Then each each one will receive his commendation from God. 
I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you would learn by us not to go beyond what is written, and that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It's, uh, it's, quite, a, it's quite a chapter. There's quite a bit of rebuke there, and, and I hope you kind of sense there's, there's actually sarcasm, right, written in the Bible. Uh, and it's, it's funny, I'm not suggesting that that gives you license to be sarcastic with your family all the time. Uh, but as you know, in all communication, there are various tools that we use, and sarcasm can be an effective one uh, at times. And so we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But before we get there, let's just look at the beginning. This is how one should regard us. kind of seems like a strange way to start a chapter. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, if you go back, it's real clear. It's real easy for us to remember that they've been arguing about Paul and Apollos and Peter and, and trying to say, like, well, this person baptized me, so I'm more important. Or this person led me to Christ, so I'm more important. My gifts are more valuable than yours. And, and the arrogance within that and the immaturity within that, Paul's just, he's just trying over and over and over to correct. And so in the argument of that saying, well, you lift up this person and you lift up this person, but, but this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Really interesting here, if you go uh, into the Greek here, into the original language, you see that Paul uses uh, a unique word for servant. So while we see servant and Paul says servant over and over and over in the New Testament, this particular one, is, this particular word that he uses is almost never used. He usually uses a different one. This one, it literally means under rower. What that meant is it's someone who rowed the lower part of a very large ship. And his point is simply this, that servants, sorry, that they are servants, but not only servants, they're lowly servants. 
So while Paul's saying, you're arguing over which is your favorite teacher, but this is how you should regard us, and he already kind of said this last week, as nothing. We are not important. God is important. We are simply servants. And more than that, stewards. It's required that stewards, they be trustworthy. And so Paul then moves here into a really interesting text that I just want to clarify a little bit. But notice the contrast. Corinthians viewed their teachers with all kinds of like prestige and, and honor. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's not the case. Richard Pryor writes it this way. They, that's the Corinthians, they valued human judgments highly. Paul dismissed them. The preachers were indeed the servants of the Corinthians, but the Corinthians were not their masters. Their only master is God. And Paul then moves into this kind of odd section of, uh, it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. And I think there's a clarification that we should make here. What Paul is talking about, and it's clear in the text, especially in verse 5, is he's talking about ultimate judgment. That God alone has that right. God alone knows your heart. And it actually says he's going to bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. He knows. And so Paul's saying, don't judge someone over their salvation. That alone is God's right. In fact, the way he builds the argument is, you can't judge me because you don't know my heart. And then he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. And it almost sounds like an arrogant thing. But then he clarifies, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that does not make me innocent. I'm not thereby acquitted. Even though I don't realize I'm still under judgment of God and God alone. And I think that's very important for us to realize is, is what he's saying is nobody can know your heart. Only you know your heart. However, you don't even know your heart as well as you think you know it. And so we let God be the judge. Now, next week in chapter 5, he's going to pass some serious judgment about an issue of right and wrong and what needs to be corrected. And I think too often we as Christians have taken this too far and we said, well, you can't judge me when we do something or when we say something. And we, we kind of follow it with, you don't know where I've been or what my life is like. And, and while that is true, we should always approach every situation with grace. Paul is very clear that we call out that which is wrong. We, we can't help one another grow if we just refuse to ever say, look, I see this in your life, and, and this is not in leading with what Scripture says. We need to correct that. And in doing that, Paul, and, and, or me, or you, or whoever, if we correct somebody else, then we are opening ourselves up for correction as well. And we live with this humility, with this realization that we exist as a church to, first and foremost, bring honor and glory to God. And then we have a mission to declare his name, but then we also disciple one another so that we can grow. That's what Paul is saying here, and it's important. Though I do want to make one quick uh, statement here. And I came across this uh, from, from a commentator. I'm just going to put it in my own words because uh, it's quite a lengthy quote, but it's really interesting. Is he said, just because the Corinthians don't have the right to judge him, but God alone does, says that doesn't mean their judgments and their accusations didn't hurt him. And I think that's important for us to realize. 
is while Paul is standing firm saying, it's God who gets to judge, you do not, that doesn't mean he's unaffected by those words. And you can kind of see it in the whole letter, you can watch this flow like crazy, but even in this just chapter, you kind of see this where, where he says he loves them dearly, and then he gets quite upset. And he says some pretty harsh things. And then he goes back to saying, you know, I'm not doing this to shame you. And then he comes back again saying, you know, if you think I'm not coming and so you have nothing to worry about, I am going to come. And you need to hear that. And you better be ready for that. So we should understand too that while we try and serve God, while we try and do what's right, while we try and be honorable, uh, while we try and be mature, people will attack us. People will run us down. People will hurt us. And we shouldn't act like it doesn't affect us. It does. And that's okay. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't weaken our resolve for doing what is right. We should continue to say, I'm going to do what's right no matter how much it hurts and how difficult it is. Remember, the, the Greeks here that Paul's speaking to, uh, they have a very different worldly view than, than Christians should, and, and they're incompatible. Uh, David Pryor writes it this way. He says, Greeks and Roman philosophers like Plato and Seneca, they regarded conscience as passing the final judgment of a man. And Paul's simply saying, no, they don't get to do that. That right is reserved for God alone. And then it comes with a warning. I've applied all things to myself and Apollos for your benefit that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. And there's some debate about exactly what that means. So in my study, this is, I think, the most biblical understanding of it based in the context of the book and, and the flow of thought that Paul is saying. And so this comes from prior again. He says, the phrase going beyond Scripture has been seen as the, char- sorry, the characteristic and the watchword of the Christ party in the sense that they saw the Old Testament scriptures as a thing of the past which mature Christians had left behind. They were abandoning what they already knew to be true because somehow they had attained some kind of level of spiritual superiority and that, none of that has any relevance to our lives anymore. Well, if you read Paul, He quotes Old Testament over and over and over. He brings truths out from all over the place. We've looked at lots of Old Testament quotes, even in just these first three chapters so far that we've looked at. Arrogance is a problem that they specifically had, but it's a problem that all of us have. As we elevate ourselves so often. Paul's saying this kind of logic puffs us up. And and then we start to pick Well, one teacher, he has it right. Paul is kind of dealing with it. seems like because Apollos was very uh, eloquent in his words and and just could present things so well, uh, people had kind of taken his side at the expense of Paul. And right last week, Paul's been saying, look, we're the same. I planted, Apollos watered. We all have the same mission. We all have the same purpose. And I'll say it this way. It's okay to have your favorite teachers that you enjoy listening to, you know, your favorite pastors or your favorite authors or your favorite podcasts, but you should never be tied to them. You should be tied to scripture. Their interpretations, my interpretations, all of us, we are fallible humans, and so we should never tie in so tightly to one person 
that we think that they have it right. Because the reality is we're all human. We all struggle. We all make mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes, especially in today's world, in social media and with the internet and everything, our mistakes are glorified so much more and everyone sees them. And so if we start to say, you know, I have it all figured out, and then people follow only us, then if we struggle, if we make a big mistake, if we commit some awful sin in a moment of weakness, their whole faith might collapse because all their faith has been placed in you and not in God. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to them. Then we read something that, that, man, this hit me like a ton of bricks. And actually, I had a couple of different Zoom meetings for various reasons where I just kind of focused on this. It's verse 7. It says, for who sees anything different in you? And then this statement, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that is not from the grace of God? It's so easy to think, man, I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. But why? Is there someone in a third world country not working just as hard as you to feed their family and to take care of people that they love and yet have nothing? Man, this hit me so hard this week. It's everything that I have received is a gift from God. And he says, says, if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Right? Like when you're given a gift, you don't boast in the gift. You boast in the one who gave it to you and their goodness. Right, if Shayla were to buy me a a brand new, really nice mountain bike, wink, wink, back there, Shayla, just kidding. But if she did that, right, I wouldn't boast in the present. I would boast in the one who loved me enough to get me a present. And it's the same with our relationship with God. And when we really understand that, is every breath that we take, every moment we wake up for that morning, and it's a new day. It's all grace. It's all God's gift to us. Simply put, I think our Christian lives could do with a very daily reminder, a a daily dose of humility. I don't deserve anything, and yet God has given me everything. What a blessing. Now, he takes that statement into these kind of almost really strange uh, verses, but you can see the sarcasm here, right? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, it's, it, there's so much, uh, just, it's just sarcasm here. What Paul is trying to say, and, and George Finley puts it very nicely, he says, this church in Corinth is on dangerously good terms with the world. It's like, that's where they're looking at. They think that they've arrived somehow, that, they, that they've reached some spiritual level of maturity that even the disciples, the apostles, those preaching and those out planting churches, they haven't reached there, but we have. And you can see the arrogance. And Paul starts to contrast this, uh, saying, uh, look, we're, we're foolish, but you, you're wise. We're, we're weak, but you, you're strong. Like, he's being pretty rude here, like pretty direct. In fact, he says it this way, and would that you did reign so that we might share that reign with you. Right? Is, is Paul's trying to make this clear here? One day we will be with Jesus in heaven. And on that day you will be kings. On that day you will have all that you want. On that day you will become rich. But if you think you're working for riches 
here while you're missing the point. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? He doesn't say, blessed are those who think they have everything they need and no longer need to rely on the grace of God. Right? Paul is, is being very, very harsh with them. Leon Morris sums up this little paragraph, uh, verses kind of 8 to 13, very well. He says it this way. Throughout this whole passage, Paul emphasizes the contradiction between the values of the Christian and the values of the worldly wise Greek. There is a massive, massive difference between how the world looks at things and how we as Christians should, because we have been given a new perspective, a new hope. Nothing we do is for here and now. It's for later. Right? Store up your treasures, not here on earth, not where moth, moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for there nothing can destroy. This is what Paul is trying to say. But notice, kind of now as he finishes this, it's almost like he realizes how harsh and, and sarcastic and and maybe, maybe he thinks he's almost gone too far. And so he clarifies, I do not write these things. This is verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And then Paul kind of talks about this and he says, look, I, I look at you as my, as my spiritual children. And this is not some kind of hierarchy sense of he's up here and they're lowly. He's simply trying to say he helped them come to faith by, the obe- by his obedience to God, and he preached the gospel, and he ties himself so closely. Their maturity, their growth is so important to him because he was part of that journey. He didn't just plant a church and walk away and just let the chips fall where they may. He cared deeply about it. Uh, John Chrysostom, the, the great, he, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal writer from many, many years ago. He says this, Paul is not here setting forth his dignity but the exceeding greatness of his love, right? He's been harsh. He's been sarcastic with them, but not just for shame's sake. He has a point. He's doing this because he loves them. And if you're a parent, you understand this is sometimes you have to intervene and make a very difficult and what seems like a harsh decision for your children because you know what's going to happen if they make a bad decision. Right, is, is a, a child is standing out on the sidewalk and they're playing catch with you and the ball bounces off of them and they run out to the street to get it. Are you just going to go, well, I guess they'll learn. Like you run after them and if you have to grab them and throw them to the side back away from danger, you're going to do it. It hurts and the child doesn't understand. Why have you done that? That's, I just want to get the ball, right? And all of a sudden, we as a parent realize they don't see the danger. They don't know yet. And the truth of the matter is that even when we're parents, we don't see all the danger. And we don't know everything that we think we do. We need to rely on our Father in heaven as well. Then he says this, imitate me. Okay, now that sounds a little bit arrogant. right? He's just been trying to fight the arrogance this whole time. But again, in the context, he's trying to say, look, as your spiritual father is is I came to faith, God has used me now to bring you along this journey as well through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but I want to lead you and I want to direct you. Would you follow me? Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, but, but he makes it maybe a little bit more clear. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He doesn't say, 
imitate me in everything that I do. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if I'm imitating Christ, you imitate me in that same way. Paul says this over and over. Philippians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Galatians. He says this over and over. Then Paul then finishes up this text by taking a shot at those who don't believe that he is going to come and see them. Right? So these people who are kind of like, Paul's never going to come here, so we don't really have to worry about this rebuke. Nah, he's never going to come and actually do anything about it. Well, if you read to the end of the letter, you see Paul has detailed plans, and he plans to go and spend the, the whole winter in Corinth. However, look what it says. It's interesting. Uh, Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Paul recognizes that while he makes plans, according to Proverbs 16.9, while we make plans, it's the Lord who establishes our steps. Right? And so it's not wrong to make plans. It's, it's wrong to make plans and assume that God will just go along with you. Paul says, I am going to come. So, so long as God allows me to come. And he says, why am I going to come? Well, basically, I'm going to make sure that you're going to prove through power what you say. John Calvin writes it this way. Again, a little bit old English talking, but it's, fun. It's, it's just kind of a funny thing. He says, for how small an affair it is for anyone, for anyone to have skill to prate eloquently while he has nothing but empty, empty tinkling. <laughs> empty tinkling. Uh, I, I think we could say it this way, is they're all talk, no action. And what do we do with people who are all talk and no action? Well, we don't believe them. We don't trust them. Right? Someone has a bold claim, but we know their actions don't back it up, and so those words don't actually carry any weight. And Paul's saying, look, look, you can say all you want, but I'm going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about talk. It's about action. Pryor writes this again. Children often make loud claims in a boastful way. It is only a reflection of their immaturity. If you've ever had a child throw a fit in your house. Or maybe you as a grown-up thrown a fit with someone in your house. All it does is prove that we're not mature. Proves that we fight. You know, this is something that, that I think probably men in general, but, but I shouldn't just say men. I think many of us, when someone calls us on something, we immediately, the defense goes up. Hold on! And our, our wall of defensiveness all that does is show our own immaturity, and I am guilty of that so, so often. Rather, I should humble myself and see, is what's saying true? Because if it's not true, I shouldn't have to be defensive about it. That's what Paul says before about the judging thing. I shouldn't have to be defensive if someone is making some kind of accusation about me that isn't true, because I know it's not true, and I can rest in that. Paul finishes this chapter by saying this in verse 21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? He, he kind of leaves it up to them. How, how are you going to respond? Right? I'm writing this letter. I'm going to send this out. And he fully intends to be there at some point in the winter. Now, we're not exactly sure how long that is going to be from this point. But he's saying, if you repent of what you know to be wrong, and you turn towards God, then I'm going to come in a spirit of gentleness. 
But if you refuse to do what is right and you refuse to mature in your faith, then I'm going to have to come with, with a rod, right? That imagery of discipline. That question is posed to us as well. While, while Paul is not going to come and visit Banff Park Church, we do know that Jesus is. Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And as we talked about a, a number of weeks ago, we can either build onto our spiritual foundation with materials that will, will last, or our spiritual lives will suffer loss because of our immaturity and our lack of giving the attention that our spiritual life needs. Our spiritual life needs. Is this, is, this is the simple reality, and this is probably the single most difficult thing for almost all of us. Our spiritual life needs a lot more attention, but we give our physical life. We give our material life all the focus so often. You know, I said this uh, in our men's group, and, and I want to say it to you, and then I want to give you another resource as well. One of the, probably the best ways for you to grow, the easiest ways for you to grow, is to go and buy a really, really good study Bible that has notes in it. On my page, sometimes less than half of the page is actually the text. And then there's all these notes giving to culture and history, uh, into original languages. There's footnotes for all kinds of really valuable things. All it takes is you going on, well, maybe you shouldn't go on Amazon right now. I don't know if that's a good thing to promote. But you just need to go into Calgary or order from christianbook.com, whatever. Spend some money. It's like 120 bucks will get you just an excellent Bible, and that will be one of the greatest resources you could ever have. That's it. That's all it would take for us to kind of grow a little bit more in our faith. And of course, there's other ways. And, and Jordan Pringle actually uh, showed me this one. And this is something that I have started now too. Uh, if you remember the Bible Project video about 1 Corinthians, well, they have hundreds of videos. And, and what they've done is they put an app together that's called Read Scripture. And they've done it and they've laid it out a little bit more chronologically so the flow maybe makes more sense to us. And they intersperse their videos all throughout with various themes and various, uh, I shouldn't say various, specific themes and specific um, book overviews and things so that it reminds you of what you're about to read. And every so often you watch another video that gives a little bit more direction. And all it does, it literally has taken me over the last, just over two weeks, it takes about 20 minutes a day where you read through some scripture, you pray through some Psalms, and probably half the, every other day, you're watching a video of about five minutes long. Again, that's all it takes. But how often do we wake up and, man, I, I'm late, I'm rushed, I got this, there's a crisis here, there's, there's this issue going on at home or at work, and our spiritual life just gets pushed to the side. And then we wonder, why am I not growing? Why am I not learning to trust God more? Why do I doubt so much? We need to give our spiritual life, the attention that it deserves. Let me just end with this. The Corinthians thought they had arrived and needed great rebuke. May we never think that spiritually we've arrived at some kind of exalted state where we're so mature and everyone else isn't. May we humble ourselves before Jesus and may we pray and ask that God would help us give the attention our spiritual lives need.
through the time that we need to set aside each day, through prayer, through our scripture reading, and through many other resources that are available to us. If you uh, need some resources, we as a church want to help. And so if you're struggling in a a certain area, a certain, uh, maybe you're struggling with a certain kind of temptation that you've just, you've not been able to get out of, or maybe there's some specific questions about things like, what is the church actually about? What should it look like? Or, or maybe you've read a text that I don't understand what this means. We would love to help you with that. So just feel free to email the church. Um, you, can, uh, you can phone me. And if you want it to be anonymous, right? If you're, if you're just not comfortable with a certain question, you can go to bampparkchurch.com and you can write a little question and email to me and you could just put anonymous in the name instead of your own. And that would be just fine. And I can still respond to that. Again, our church, while we're concerned with your physical and, and your physical health and safety, that's why we're meeting the way we are right now, we're far more concerned about your spiritual and your emotional health. So let me end with that and let's pray. God, thank you so much for this text this morning. God, thank you for, for even just that one simple reminder that everything that we have is a gift of your grace. May we never rest in our own strength, thinking that we have earned, we deserve something. But may we look to you. God, may each one, as they finish the service here this morning and and maybe have some conversation in their home, would each one be willing to ask the question, how can I help my spiritual life to grow more intently? this week, this month, this year. God, we love you and we're so thankful for all that you're doing. Go with us today. Amen. Thank you uh, again for joining us online. Like Lori mentioned in the announcements, next week we're going to start the the virtual coffee over Zoom. Bev is going to host that for us. So just check your emails uh, for that. And if you've been joining us online and and we don't have your email address, we can't send that to you. So again, Feel free, send, that, send me a message saying I'd love to be part of that and we'll fire that off to you each week um, and you can do that as well and that'll take place from 12 to 12.30 each Sunday. And of course, I just want to mention this is Shayla worked super hard and we got everything up and it ran smooth for the first time. So uh, if you have been watching on our website and you, you uh, want to chat back and forth, encourage one another, just say hi. Uh, Maybe just give her a little virtual pat on the back for all her hard work this week. Thank you, and have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Stay, oh, and we don't have to stay warm because it will be warm. Bye-bye.